Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 33, 33 of Five Hole Fantasy Hockey Radio. I am TJ Branson. I'm your host tonight, and joined with me is Zachary Vogel. Hey, hey, hey. So this week, we are going to be talking different rankings between centers. We ranked all the way up to 20. You get a lot of really, really good players. But yeah, man. Uh, do you want to start it off, or do you want me to start it off? Um, I think you should start it off. Go ahead. I know you like hearing yourself talk, so I mean, let's... All right, so my number 20 is Mikhail Groundland. Last year and the year prior, he was always a... Um, he was like pushing on 70 points. He he had 67 points this year, 21 goals, 46 assists. The year before that one, 16-17, he had 69 points, 26 goals, and 43 assists. Uh, this year, he had a career high in shots at a reasonable 10.9%. He had 193 shots on 334 shot attempts. He was playing right around 19 minutes a night. He's not a guy for uh, hits or blocks. He put up less than 50 in both, but he did spend a lot of the time as a right wing. So he does have that dual eligibility center and right wing. So you're not going to get a lot of face-offs out of the guy. This is a guy I'm looking at pretty much just for offense. Spent last year on the second line, uh, mostly because Jason Zucker was doing so fucking awesome on that top line with Eric Stahl and Zach Parisi. Mikhail Granlin was playing with like Nino Niederreiter and Miko Koivu, but really held that line together. Uh, I'm looking at him for just pure offense, man. He's a 67-point guy. He's number 20 on my list. Uh, he had... 19 points on the power play, seven goals, 12 assists. Uh, he even put in a shorthanded goal, had two game winners, two shorthanded assists. So this is a guy you're looking at for all situations. He's playing on the penalty kill. He's playing on the power play, and he's playing at even strength with some really good supporting cast there. Uh, Nino Niederreiter and Miko Koivu. What do you got on Mikhail Granlin? Anything? I think he's, he's a good player to have it at your number 20 spot. He just missed my list. If I do recall, he was the leading point getter on the wild two years ago. So, I mean, that's going back a little bit, but he definitely has it in him. And and we all know that. And he almost matches point total from the year prior. He had 69 points two years ago and 67 this year. I think he's one of those under the radar guys and somebody that you can steal in a later round that a lot of people aren't going to kind of really have on their lists, so to speak. So like the number 20 center on our list or yours, and somebody who's just outside that list for me, you might be able to get a, a Michael Grandland at, what would you say, TJ? Possibly like the ninth or 10th round? Yeah, I was going to say eighth round, give or take two rounds, depending on how high somebody is on him going into this year. But what you were saying about him being the point leader last year, he was, in fact, the point leader. He had the 69 points. But you have so many guys like um, Eric Stahl had 65 points in the 16-17 year. Miko Koivu had 58. Niederreiter had a career-high 57 points. Charlie Coyle was doing really well, only one point behind Niederreiter. And then this year, he was only off uh, from Eric Stahl, who had a like just wild year, 42 who goals. Seven, who had 76 points this year. Yeah, 76 points. He was only you know seven points behind him. So these guys in Minnesota, they're just really well-rounded. There's no real superstars. There's just a bunch of really good players. They can roll four lines. Guys like Niederreiter and Charlie Coyle had down years without a doubt. But guys like Mikhail Granlin have just been uh, extremely consistent, at least. He definitely had a breakout year last year, but it seems like that is the kind of guy we can learn to expect with uh, with Mikhail Granlin. And that dual eligibility doesn't hurt one bit. So you do like to have that uh, versatility in your lineup. I'm also pretty sure that we've talked about the Wild on on that specific subject of how they're not exactly made to have – there's nobody on that team that's going to have 100 points. Yeah. 
because it seems like 80 points is kind of like the ceiling for anybody on that team. Yeah, they're they're just a very well-rounded, but you're going to have quite a few different guys that are going to have 65 to 75 points. If Zach Parise is healthy, you throw him in there, he's going to be 60 plus. Nino Niederreiter is more than capable of getting 60 plus. So they have multiple players that can do that kind of stuff. All right, so number 20, I have Ryan Getzlaff. He didn't exactly have one of those seasons where he's really blowing the doors off. He only had 11 goals, 50 assists, but I mean, he did have 61 points. And it all it's all because of that, that huge assist number that he had. Now, he is going to help you out with a little bit of the peripherals. He had 42 PIMS, 96 hits, which is pretty decent. He only played 56 games. He missed a lot yeah. of time. with. He fucked up his face. If you've ever seen Ryan Getzlaff, you really can't tell. 57 blocks, hardly shot at all, unfortunately. Uh, Just around two shots a game. Yeah, he's much more of a passer. So, I mean, he took 117 shots and a 9.4 percentage clip. That's a solid two points underneath his career average. So, if he gets out there more, if he plays more than the 56 games that he did, I'm sure a lot of those numbers will be up, especially the hits will be well over 100. The blocks will be up closer to around 70 to 75. He only took 849 faceoffs and unfortunately was below 50%. I have him on here because he is pretty much kind of like what I would consider the heart and soul of that team. He's kind of like the old guard uh, of that team. Yeah. So kind of like they're they're getting a lot younger with players like Raquel, who we're going to be talking about and coming up here in the in the near future. He's one of those players that I saw it even in the playoffs. Like, if he wants to, I've seen Ryan Getzlaff take over a game. A lot of times he kind of waits for the playoffs to do that, so it doesn't really help you in fantasy leagues like for us. But I still have him on my list for number 20. Yeah, even at uh, almost age 34, he's he almost put up an assist a game. Uh, 50 assists in 56 games played this year. He's still rocking over 21 minutes a night. Like you were saying, he's taking a hell of a lot of face-offs. He's not elite in the face-off circle, but he's still taking a lot of them. Uh, the hits are really good. The blocks, the, you know, they're always there. He is just kind of like an all-around. I could see him being number 20. He isn't somebody you're aiming for in the first 10 rounds, but you kind of you can get him there. And if you're in a category, I, I, I totally agree. Yeah, if you're in a category league, I could I could see taking him in round 10. But uh, I'm not not too high on him. If if you guys disagree with me, feel free to uh, feel free to let me know and why. I just don't want you to hit me up on Twitter and be like, "Fuck you, gets laugh is awesome." How's I mean, we we all know that TJ's an asshole, and sometimes he needs to hear about it. But it is nice to have a little feedback as to why you think TJ's an asshole. Yeah, if if you think I'm wrong, please tell me why. I mean, yeah, I, I see him at, at a nice number twenty. That's not too bad. Okay, let's move. Uh, let's move on down. We're gonna. So pretty much, we're gonna we're gonna bust through the these first ten. We'll we'll get into a little more depth after the uh, um, going in through ten to one. So who do you got at nineteen? All right, I got uh, Nicholas Backstrom at number nineteen. He he moved from that top line at least for a lot of the year. He moved from the top line with Ovechkin. He started playing on the second line. He's still pretty good at least in the faceoff circle. So he's above fifty percent in the faceoff circle. Uh, not much for hits and blocks. He did put up fifty blocks though. And, and this is another guy who only shoots about once or twice a game. In the same way that Ryan Getzlaff is, he's more of an assist guy. He's a playmaker. He put up 71 points in 81 games, 50 assists with 21 goals on top of that. Uh, added in like 46 pims. That's no big deal. Had seven goals on the power play, which is one-third of his totals, and had 19 
power play assists. So, I mean, you're looking at that that really intimidating Washington power play, and he's on it. Ovechkin's on it. He's going to get a lot of points on the power play. He had 26 points this year, shot at 12%. So that's like right about career average for him. Still playing almost 20 minutes a night. Nicholas Backstrom, he's always worth a look, especially um, especially <coughs> in like points leagues and stuff like that. He he does see some exposure with Alex Ovechkin, and I like to see that. A guy of Ovechkin's caliber can put the puck in the net at any given moment, and every once in a while, Backstrom's the guy to give it to him. So I do like that. He's not putting up like a point per game like he did last year, but again, that's because he isn't playing with Ovechkin every single night. So lately he's been playing with like Jacob Vrana and TJ Oshie and they're, they're no slouches either. So you got Oshie on the other side and Vrana, who's an up and coming guy. So you're telling, you're telling me best case scenario, he's playing with Ovechkin worst case scenario. He's playing with Oshie. Yeah. That's, that's not too bad. So um, I got him at number 19 for that reason. You have him at number 19. I definitely have him a little higher. I have him at number 14. And that's because I do like his deployment on the power play in a big way, their offense in general. And there's also nothing saying 100% that Kuznetsov is going to stay on that first line. He very well could get moved back to that first line or get a little bit more time throughout the game. You know how much uh, Washington changes up their lines, but also that was more or less when, uh, when Barry Trotz was there. So, Maybe what I just said is just going to be totally untrue because you you don't know what the uh, what the new coach is kind of going to do. But they have been known just because they have so much firepower and so much talent, they change their lines around a lot. Todd Reardon, we'll see what he does with the lines. I like Backstrom a little bit higher than you do. Like I said, I have him at fourteen. The fact that he had seventy one points. And his shooting percentage this past year is pretty much right on par with his career is a really good sign to me. If you have a 70-point floor, then that's fantastic. And and those are the players that I want because I feel like his his ceiling is obviously up over 80 points, mm. which which I think is obviously feasible on top of the fact that he takes uh he took almost 1,400 faceoffs this past year. Like I said, I, I like him a little more than you do. But I can see 19. I just think yeah. that's a little low. He he just dropped in stock just because he isn't playing with Ovechkin anymore. So, but he's still playing. Year, he's still playing with Oshie. Yeah. I, I can't. I can't just totally so last throw year that cracked, to the wayside. He cracked both of our top tens, and this year he's still within the top 20. So it's it's really not a bad look. Did we go over your 19 already? Who do you have in 19? I got Alexander Barkov at 19. Beautiful. We're getting we're getting warm and wet down here, Ooh. down in down in South Florida. With Alexander Barkov, I like the Panthers. I like. I'm not. It's not like I have like. You like everybody on the Panthers except Roberto Luongo. Yeah, I can't stand <laughs> Roberto Luongo. But yeah, I mean, I just think the Barkov is a super great young talent. I mean, he's only 22. They have such a good young core. They could really be good for years. All they need is to not have fucking Roberto Luongo in net. So he played 79 games this year which is actually more than he has played recently. It's the most games he's played in a season his entire career. Because of that, had his highest points total this past year. 27 goals, 51 assists. 27 goals, super solid. 51 assists, 20 more than his prior high total. I'm just high on them in general. Yeah, um, was- it kind of it kind of hurt me to even have him at 19. I would almost want to put him higher for the sole fact that so this past year, he took 256 shots. His career average for shooting percentage is 12.8, and this year he was at a 
Mm-hmm. I want I I'd love to see something like that because that tells me that if he boosts that up another two percent, he's going to have an even better year than he had last year. If he takes yeah, the same five more shots. goals, I love that kind of thing. How could how could you not? He has thirty two goals instead of twenty seven. That's a fucking hell of a season. On top of the fact that if he's going to be playing with the the line mates that that he's projected to be playing with, he he usually plays with a uh, Dadnov who last year had a great year. Um, coming out uh, with his first season, they kind of really seemed to mesh well after Yager kind of got moved out of Florida. It was even said by Yager himself that the rest of that team was just playing a different game than he's used to. So much faster. Yeah, they're they're just a young, fast team, and that's the kind of thing that Barkov really thrives on because he likes to be that guy in the middle pushing people around down low, getting those dirty goals while other people are, are taking those shots. So, I mean, I'm big on Barkov. Um, I think he's going to have a great year. And and like we said last time, if you want to make another bet about Florida, let's fucking do it, dude. I can get into that. Uh, I'm equally as high on Barkov, if not more. I have him all the way at number 12. Uh, he's playing with Evgeny Dadnov, who got 65 points this year, who's you know looking really good to kind of make a staple for himself in the NHL. I feel that Alexander Barkov is one of the league's most underrated centers. Every year, it seems like Barkov is kind of like an afterthought. He gets drafted at an average of 78 for his draft position. Last year in ESPN, that's an eight-round draft pick on average. 78 points in 79 Sweet. games, over 250 shots, 17 power play points last year on a power play that's now going to have Mike Hoffman on it. He's over 54%, or he's right around 54% in the face-off circle. He's a plus nine, almost 30 goals. So like you were saying, if he shot his career average, he would have broken 30 goals and would have broken a point per game. Markov is perennially like a really offensive force. He's one of the most gifted two-way forwards. I'm surprised he didn't get a selkie vote this year. Uh, one of the most gifted two-way forwards in the NHL. He almost hit one block shot a game this year, too. So the chemistry on that top line, like you were saying, is is Huberto, Adadnov, and Barkov. They they just had really good chemistry, and it seems like they're going to stick together. They're going to have another year to build on that chemistry. So that's going to continue to build, and I think we're going to see three really effective forwards next year. I don't know why you wouldn't want to keep them together. Uh, Huberto and Barkov have played together for for a couple of years now, and they they bid on that same line as long as both of them are healthy. It seems like they always do well, and they're always on each other's points. And then you throw Dadnoff into that mix. That's one of those one-two punches that I'm even okay with doing. Yeah, the point share is crazy. The chemistry is awesome. They're they're all super effective. So I have him all the way at number 12. So, I mean, I can't wait to see what the rest of your list looks like. Number 18, I have William Carlson. I know you have him a lot higher than I do. See, and, and, that's, the, and that's the thing. I mean, we kind of really flip-flop on a bunch of these. I have him all the way at number 10. With William Carlson, he had... Three times as many points as his last career high. But that's to be said because he was playing 13 minutes in Columbus and then he gets traded to Vegas, is on the top line. You guys know the story, right? So he's shooting at almost 24%, took 184 shots, and 43 of them went in, playing almost 19 minutes a game. He's under 50% on the faceoff circle. He's none for like hits and blocks, but this is a guy that scored 43 goals last year so he has to make the list it's just and 35 assists and 35 assists for almost a point per game he was four points shy of a point per game uh vegas wasn't much for a power play force but he still put up 16 points on the power play he even put up uh four shorthanded goals one of one of which was that badass one uh that where he went between the legs on martin jones do you remember that one that was like the highlight real one from the second it happened to the rest of the year. It probably will be for years to come. It was just a lot of fun to watch. So again, this guy plays in all situations, power play, 
first line, penalty kill. He's always out there. But the reason I have him all the way down at number 18 is just because I'm so scared of that 23.4% shooting percentage. We saw it with TJ Oshie last year. He had, I think it was 23 on the dot. And then he goes from 23 to something more reasonable like 14.2, which is right around his career average. And he only scored 18 goals this year. So last year with a 23.1 shooting percentage, he scored 33 in 68 games last year. And now he played 17, 74 games, had 18 goals. So we saw Oshie come back down to earth. I think the same thing is going to happen to William Carlson. I'm not saying he's going to score less than 20 goals. I'm going to put him in the 20 to 30 range. I know that's a pretty wide spread, but I think 25 goals on the dot is probably where we are going to find him next year. So I think 10 is a little, a little stretchy for me, but he has to make my top 20. I mean, you were pretty spot on with that TJ Oshie comparison. I feel you. He was actually at 23.1. I don't know. It's just it's just hard to look past those 43 goals. And I, I know what kind of happened to with we were just talking about Jeff Skinner earlier. So two years ago, he had a ton of goals. This past year, let's just say he didn't have a ton of goals. Jeff Skinner for you, man. He's all over the map. He's yeah, it like- was it was a little more deployment, a uh, little more of a deployment issue with Jeff Skinner. But what I will say about William Carlson is apart from Marc-Andre Fleury, he is the face of that franchise. And we kind of went over this uh, a little bit before the show here. He's not going to get less time on ice. He's not going to get less opportunities. If anything, I could see him shooting more, which will clearly bring down that that 23% shooting percentage. And if you it doesn't, don't, that's going to be scary. He's going to be a 50-goal scorer. <laughs> It's just that you don't really know what you're going to get from the guy. And I mean, I just have, I don't know, for some reason I have faith in him and I, I don't, I can't even really tell you why. He jumped up over five minutes worth of playing time this past year. Vegas is just giving him so much more than Columbus did. Columbus is kicking themselves in the ass for it. He's not going to be one of those guys that helps you out on PIMS because he only had 12 all year long. Yeah, he got nominated a, for the Lady Bing too. Yeah, on, on another note, that that's means that he's on the ice. Like, that guy is on the ice all the time. I would not be surprised if his 18 minutes a game this past year, uh, it's what, 18 and a half, some, 18, give or take. 23. Yeah, give or take. Got bumped up even more especially with not having a James Neal around because he's gone this year. I would expect them to maybe give a little more time to Alex Tuck. They're not going to give William Carlson less time on ice. I see him doing some big things again this year on top of the fact that they have to continue to play with a chip on their shoulder because even though they made it to the Stanley Cup Finals, which is incredibly hard to do. Oh, my God. Everybody still says, oh, well, it was a fluke. Yep. Fuck you, dude. Like, <laughs> and let me, you, let me you do this. not get to the Stanley Cup Finals on a friggin' fluke. Now they have to try to shut people up for just saying, hey, last year wasn't just a one-time deal. So he did just get signed to a one-year contract. Uh, I think he's making like $5.5 million, but he got that money because of the 43 goals. I guarantee you his agent was like, now's the time to strike. Strike while the iron's hot because everybody sees that 23.4, including you know the GM, including his agent. Everybody sees that shooting percentage. And it's like, all right, time to get paid, bud. He's going to be playing for a contract again. Even this year, he's got a one-year contract. You know, he's going to be playing with that extra fire to prove to everybody, including, you know, the front office, that he can get 40 goals. So you might be right. He could be a number 10 by the end of the year. But I'm just, I'm playing it a little safe here. I do want to add in that he had a um, 
like a league leading plus 49 in the plus minus. And I remember before the year even started, both you and I agreed, like if you're playing in a plus minus league, stay away from Vegas. They're going to be so God awful, but you have the league leader in plus minus on Vegas, which nobody would have seen coming. Well, I didn't know that was going to happen. Neither did you. Neither, <laughs> neither did, did anybody. anybody <laughs> neither did Vegas. I mean, right. I don't think even Vegas knew that was going to happen. Obviously, they had faith in themselves, but I don't think they thought that they were going to make it to the to the Stanley Cup playoffs and be a viable contender to actually lift the cup on their first year, which I would have loved to have seen, but we didn't see it. Okay, so moving on. This is somebody I have on my list at number 18. I know you also have him on your list, Ryan Johansson. You know what? I think he got pushed out. You bumped him off, huh? I bumped him off, yep. And oh. and you like Ryan Johansson a lot more than I do. How, how yeah, in the world did that happen? Okay, so Ryan Johansson is a pretty healthy guy. He played 79 games this year or this past year, 82 last year. And, I mean, other than that uh, issue that he had at the end of the playoffs where he had to get taken out, um, with kind of like an undisclosed injury that they uh, didn't want to talk about. He's a really healthy dude. So like I said, he played 79 games this year. He only had 54 points, which I think can definitely go up. But also I feel like a big part of that is he only took 129 shots. He's much more of one of those guys who kind of get likes to get down low. So I want to see more than 15 goals out of Ryan Johansson. 39 assists is pretty solid. But it's really the goals that I want to see. He cra- If he cracks 24, 25 goals, it changes the look of his season drastically. Where I do really like Ryan Johansson is in the face-off circle. The guy took almost 1,500 face-offs, took uh, 1,461, and he's up over 55%. Those are pretty good numbers. When you're looking for somebody who is a sole centerman and doesn't have multiple eligibility, you better have very good face-off credentials, which Ryan Johansson does. On top of the fact that he's on a really good Predators team, there's nothing saying that him playing alongside somebody like Ardvinson, who's a really young, speedy guy, he can't get back up there on goals. What do you think? Well, he's always been that pass-first kind of guy, so 15 goals is something that we're going to see. But he had a career high of 33 goals in 13-14 with Columbus before he got traded. Uh, 78 pims is really awesome. So he's, he's a guy that's chipping in for your penalty minutes too. He's not much on the power play. He only had one power play goal this year and he had, well, he did have 14 power play assists. So he had 15 power play points, no big deal, but he doesn't shoot. That's, that's something I'm really worried about here. He had 129 shots this year at a pretty reasonable 11.6%. It's, but that's also right on par with his career average. So, so that tells me you shoot more, you're going to get, you're going to get more points. This is the kind of player that we're looking at. He is playing with two high caliber players in Philip Forsberg and Victor Arvidsson. So players of that stature are the guys that are going to be getting those goals. So maybe Ryan Johansson just thinks that, oh, I'm I'm the pass guy. I'm the playmaker. We see it just going back like one, two, three, four. So many years he, he has mostly assists and isn't much for goal scoring. Uh, career high, 71 <clears throat> points in 14-15. I mean, I think that that's pretty much his ceiling as far as points totals go. But even in that year, he had 26 goals. So he he can be a 20-goal scorer. He can be a 25-goal scorer. Yeah, I'll agree with you. It would be awesome to see that. But I think we're going to see more of this, you know, 15 to 20 and right around 40 to 50 assists. Okay. So moving on, you said you don't have Joe Hansen on there, on yours. Yeah, who do you got at 17? 
I got Ryan Geslav. We already talked about him, man. So uh, who's your 17? I'm going Eric Stahl. Eric Stahl was, for myself, a, a big pickup last year. I know you weren't thrilled about it, but he really helped kind of boost my team at the end of the year because I kind of made a, a big trade push uh, towards the end of the season. He had 76 points last year. He led the Wild in points, 42 motherfucking goals. It, it seemed like, especially at the end of the year, like he, he put a bunch of those goals on. There was multiple times where he had uh, multi-goal games. Um, so he had 42 goals, 34 assists. Isn't really going to be too crazy on a bunch of the peripherals. 42 pims, not too shabby, but he only had 42 hits and 49 blocks. I mean, it's helping out a little bit. Don't get me wrong. He's getting half a block game. Uh, same for hits, give or take. He had 241 shots, though, which yeah. is a really solid shot amount, especially with my centers. I like to see at least 200. I mean, 200 is the is is a low amount. So, I mean, I'm looking for more than 200, especially for my top centers. Um, so he had 241. Shooting percentage at 17.4, uh, a little high. Career yeah. high, he's usually around a 10.6, but he's also taken faceoffs. He's not killing it on the faceoff circle. He's at 51.2%. That He took over 1,100 faceoffs. He's just kind of like an all-around player. He's on that top line with Zach Parise. He's going to get you points, and he's going to get you a couple extra things. He's one of those players that don't sell the boat for him. You know what I mean? Don't give it all away. If you get him in at, at like a decent round, I mean, I would even say seventh or eighth round, I think yeah. is a pretty solid place to pick up an Eric Stahl. I wouldn't push for him too much higher. If somebody else is going to take him higher, let them. But especially if he's lower than that, then fucking snag him. Yeah, that shooting percentage is a little bit worrisome. He's probably going to be closer to what he was two years ago in 16-17, a 65-point player, than the player he was last year in 17-18 of a 76-point player. So it's going to be somewhere in the middle. That's where I'm probably putting him next year. I would say 70-point guy, give or take five points. You know, 75 <laughs> points would be a really good year. 65 points would be a good year still. I do like where he's at. The, the shot total, like you were saying, is really nice, 241. That's right about three shots a game which is where I start to get really into those centers and, and forwards. I like to see three shots a game. Um, those are the guys I'm really gunning for. I'm streaming guys that are doing two shots a game. Uh, 17 power play points, six assists, and 11 goals. Uh, four game winners, two shorthanded goals, actually. And uh, yeah, so again, we're looking at a guy that plays in all situations. But with a career-high shooting percentage, uh, six points above his career average, you could you can probably see a little bit of regression coming from Eric Stahl. I'm not against saying that you might see a little bit of regression, but also you got to think this guy has been in the league a while. So, I mean, he knows how to keep his body in tune, obviously. It's not like he's really slowing down. I mean, he just had the best uh, year of his career as, as far as I'm concerned. Now, how many years is that going to be happening moving forward? Now that I can't tell you. Next year, the Wild know that this is their window. Okay, they have Dubnik right now. They still have Parise. They have the younger core that, that we were speaking about earlier. This is their time to strike. And I'm actually almost surprised that they haven't made any sort of uh, any sort of big move in the offseason to try to to try to bulk up that pretty much what I would consider their bottom six. Yeah, but they do have a nice, like, well-rounded four lines. These are guys that need to get over the hump. And like you were saying, they're going into the year with pretty much exactly. I think they lost Matt Cullen and that's all they did. Um, they didn't really add any pieces. They didn't lose any pieces. 
So we'll see how it works out for Eric Stahl in his age 34 year and uh, see if he can continue that 60-plus point pace that he's been on for two years in Minnesota. Okay, so we're going to move on to the next one. Let's go with number 16. And who do you have, TJ? Number 16, I have Vincent Trocheck. Who is not uh, on my list at all. And he made my list for 75 points. So 75 reasons I have on him making my list. <laughs> uh, 31 goals, career high. 44 assists, career high. 75 points, career high. Minus 9, meh. 54 PIMS, career high. And this is a guy that uh, it actually took me by surprise. He put up 145 hits. He's been over 125 hits for the last three years. Did make some improvements in the face-off circle. He is over 50%. Uh, he's got a 54.1 right now, which is a career high. So he's getting really good at that. He played 21 minutes on average this year from the second line. So another guy in Florida that is worth looking at. Um, he had a 10.8 shooting percentage. I have no worries there. Shot at a really decent three shots a game, 287 over the course of 82 games. Uh, on the power play, he had 14 assists and 13 goals for 27 power play points. This is a guy that really, really took a step forward from his previous career high last year of 54 points, turned himself into a 75-point guy. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if he pretty much stayed on par with that this year, turned into a 75-point guy, could even push four point per game. You're likely going to see him playing with uh, Mike Hoffman this year who's a really shoot-first kind of guy, too. So they're going to have a really good top six. And I understand why you're so high on Florida. On paper, they look really good. And we'll see how it works out for them. I'm just really excited about Vincent Trocek going forward. He's an all-around fantasy guy. Does the hits. He, I mean, he puts up some blocks, but nothing like out of the ordinary. Uh, playing a hell of a lot of minutes and deserves them. So the power play is definitely where I like Vincent Trocek the most. Um, you can't argue with those 27 power play points. You just can't. And it's not like they were 20 power play assists and a couple of goals kind of thing. Uh, it was split straight down the middle. So with the addition of Mike Hoffman, it's definitely not going to hurt anything. The only thing is, if I do recall, I don't believe that Trocek is on that first power play unit. No, it, is. it does have him there. So it's Huberto, Barkov, Trocek, Hoffman, and Yandel. Okay, well, that is just a fucking power play to be scared of. Yeah, dude. That's uh, wow. Okay. So I'm not saying I don't like Vincent Trocek. I'm not saying I wouldn't be interested in drafting him. Um, I just think you're a little higher on them than, uh, than I am. And I like the Panthers. In all honesty, every single person there, top six, is draftable in the first 13 rounds, I would say. At the very, at the very least, yeah. Even Dadnov is is in that is in that conversation too. I mean, we we haven't talked about him in these past couple of episodes. Everybody on that top six is worth drafting. Mm -hmm. And I think their their defense pairings are pretty good too. I mean, Keith Yandel is one of the top defensemen. We'll talk about him later. Aaron Ekblad, we're still waiting for him to break out. He shoots like crazy, but he's shooting at like four or five percent. Actually, you know what? Now that I look at it, Michael Matheson and Mark Pissick on their second pairing isn't too awesome. So they do have the top pairing, but that's about it. So well, it's got to drop off at some point in time. Yeah. Huh? In all honesty, Matheson was not that bad of a daily streamer last year. I picked him up quite a few times and 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 got some points out of it just because streaming the Panthers on a day to day basis is not the worst idea in the world. Yeah, Matheson. He, I mean, he blocks the tons of shots. And he shoots pretty good. Twenty seven points though. Yeah, I mean, okay. if you pick if you picked him up on the right day, that would be good. So, I mean, as far as second-line centers go, Vincent Trocek is probably in my top five. Obviously, guys like Evgeny Malkin, uh, Leon Dreisaitl, those guys are 
you know, at the forefront of your of your mind when you think about second line centers. But I think Trocheck has really thrown his hat in the ring for being one of the best second line centers in the league for okay, fantasy. So, so we're going to move on to my number 16, the good old double R Rickard Brackle. You know me. I love Mason Rickard Brackle. He had a, a very decent season. It's not like it was flashy and and totally over the top, but I mean, he had 69 points, 34 goals, 35 assists, cut straight down the middle. He's another one of those players that really isn't going to get you a lot of PIMS, only at 14 PIMS. But one thing I was actually surprised about was when I actually looked at his hits. You know, he had 115 hits. Yeah, he has over 100 hits two out of the last three years. Looking at him, it just it doesn't seem like his sort of game. Um, but he did. He had 115 hits, 230 shots. And it's not like his shooting percentage, while it was at a 14.8, is really too far off his career average at a 13-6. That doesn't really scare me right there either. So I think he is a solid 25-goal scorer on the low end. Yeah, absolutely. He led the Ducks in points last year, and I don't see why he couldn't do it again. He didn't really take too many face-offs last year because he was on the line with Ryan Getzlaff. In the future, I'd like to see him take some more face-offs. Um, I mean, he only has a... Uh, what, like a 45% average on faceoffs uh, for his career. So it's not like he's really killing it out there. I'm not going to lie. I'm not really drafting him for uh, for his faceoff percentage. I can get that from other guys, especially the fact that he is one of these guys that has not just dual eligibility, but triple eligibility. The reason he didn't have too many faceoffs last year, he spent last year as a right wing, but he does have that eligibility. So that brings him into the conversation for centers. But you're right, man. Like, I think what two out of the last three years he, no, it was this year that he led the the Ducks, or was it last year? I'm pretty sure it was this year that he led the Ducks. Yeah, I think on you're top right. of the fact that, uh, I mean, he got bumped up from from two years ago to this year. He has a full two minutes more on ice, which is only going to mean good things. Yeah, and every single year we talked about him um, last week when when we were talking about wingers that every single year he's been progressing. So. Four years ago, he had 31 points. The year after that, 43. Then he went to 51 and now 69. So he's really coming into his own. And also remember that, I mean, he had eight power play goals and 10 power play assists. So, I mean, he's he's out there on the power play. He's putting in work. One of his big jobs, when they dump and run, he's that guy that gets down there and, and, and does the forechecking. Like, he is on those boards. He is on that puck. Uh, I mean, you'll yeah. he's just flying all over the place out yeah. there. You see it in the hits. Yeah. Okay. So moving on, let's move right into number 15. I have Patrice Bergeron. Okay. Yeah, take it away. I got Bergeron up at, uh, I think, 11. Yeah, I got Bergeron at 11. Which definitely isn't a bad place to have him by any means. Uh, so I, I, was, I was saying to TJ, 11 through 20 was the hardest rankings I had to do for all of the rankings that we've done, whether it was left wingers, centers, um, or as the centers, the defense, the right wingers, everything. One through 10 was honestly pretty easy, but 11 through 20, it almost felt like you could kind of just pick and choose which one to have anywhere because they're, they all have, they all have good points for everything. Yeah. Just so, I mean, Bergeron, he didn't have a million points. You know what I mean? It's not like he had like 75 plus points. But he had a very solid season. He had 63 points with 30 goals, 33 assists. And that's all in 64 games. Yeah, and, and that's and that's not even a ton of games. So, I mean, 
you throw another you throw another 15 games on top of that he's going to get you more points on top of the fact that he's on one of the best lines in hockey that being said his hits and blocks leave a, a little something to be desired i can deal with that that's by far his lowest his lowest spot hits blocks pims pims he only had 18 that's because he's fucking patrice Bergeron and he wins the friggin' Selkie every year. So, I mean, he's <laughs> playing on a line with Brad Marchand. There's, there's a guy for that. Yeah. That's, that's his job. 224 shots, 13.4 shooting percentage, not too crazy far off his career average, but also you kind of got to take that with a grain of salt because he's been in the league for like 35 years. However, takes a ton of face off. He took 1,368 face offs with being over 57%. There are not too many people in the league that have a better than 57% average for the whole year when they're taking more than 1,200 faceoffs. He was ranked 12th amongst all forwards for the most faceoff wins. And as far as faceoff percentage, he was sixth amongst all forwards taking more than 1,000 faceoffs. So you got guys like on the list that won one out of one faceoff and they all of a sudden have a 100% win percentage. But amongst forwards that took more than 1,000 faceoffs, he was ranked sixth. So this is a, definitely a guy. Who's going to win you that category? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm just I'm big on Patrice Bergeron, and I've never even I, I've never had him on my team, but I but I sure do want him. Where where did you say you have a uh, Bergeron again? I got Bergeron all the way up at number eleven. Okay, I can see that. I can definitely see that. I mean, it's not like we're too far off between fifteen and eleven, but fair enough. So where are you aiming for him? I I'm I'm thinking like round five or six is pretty good value. I was um, going to actually say six. So yeah. I mean. Patrice Bergeron, if you get him in the sixth round, um, that's pretty solid. If you take him at, in the fourth round, I mean, I think that might be a little bit of a reach because you're really looking for points in the fourth round. But it also depends on what type of league you're in. If you're in a, a category league, yeah, I could see him being higher than a six. But, I mean, seven, seven, eight, if he's still there, oh, my God. Yeah, you're winning. Uh, please give me a call so that I can come be in your league. <laughs> All right. At number 15, I have the former Philadelphia Flyer and power play specialist, Braden Shen, who uh, actually didn't do as crazily awesome as he did on the power play in, uh, in recent years, but he did set a bunch of career highs last year. He set a career high in goals, assists, points, plus minus, penalty minutes, shots, face-off win percentage, and still managed to lay down over 150 hits and 19 power play points. He scored 70 points in 82 games with 28 goals, 42 assists. He was playing with Tarasenko for like most of the year. I think there were a few games where he might not have. Uh, he scored at even strength more than ever before and did it all with a reasonable shooting percentage in relative to his career average. It does seem to be repeatable, especially when you're playing with Tarasenko and Jaden Schwartz and given that top line ice time. Uh, Shen should not be forgotten going into drafts next year. You talk about Luke Shen? No, no shot. Uh, he put up <laughs> <laughs> he put up fifty six penalty minutes, and uh, the hits are really, really good to go along with that. He put up one hundred and fifty four hits this year. It's just really good hit stats to go along with his offensive production. He can be a real asset to your team later on in the draft, not too late, but you might be able to snag him close to like round eight or ten, or if if everybody forgets about him, then you might even get him later than that, and then he's going to be a steal. Yeah, I mean, I think anybody playing with the Blood Brothers that are uh, Vladimir Tarasenko and Jaden Schwartz, they're always going to be on a, a line together. If they're healthy, they're going to be playing together. So whoever is in the middle of that line, who's ever the meat in that sandwich, 
is going to do just fine. And right now that's Braden Shen. I actually have him at 13. Well, there's so many reasons to say so. So, yeah, I mean, I, I love his I love his I love his ability to get points. I hope that doesn't become a thing. I love his I love his hits. He's not hurting on Pims by any means. He's getting a decent amount. He's over 200 shots. And his shooting percentages is not too far off of his uh, career average. It's not even a full point higher. So, I mean, there's a lot of reasons to like Braden Shen, and he's not going anywhere. He's solidified on that top-line center position in St. Louis, who is also making moves to to kind of to stay relative. Oh, yeah. Who needs cap space? You only need cap space when you need players, and they bought all the players this year. Yeah, well, you got to do what you got to do. I think there's a lot of reasons to like Braden Shen. There's a lot of reasons to like the the St. Louis Blues. So every everything that's on paper right now looks like Braden Shen can do this again. Uh, given, uh, of course, that it's only the first year we've seen him in St. Louis, but like you were saying, his shooting percentage is straight on career average. The point totals probably just goes along with number one, his line mates. Two, the extra deployment he saw over two minutes more than he usually did in Philadelphia. Yeah, uh, he's still not your face-off guy. So. Uh, you're going to get that somewhere else. You are going to get wins, but you're not going to get most of them. Uh, yeah, but- he was only at 48% on faceoffs this year. So, I mean, what are you going to do? He he really surprised everybody with the year he put it together this year. So his his name's not going to be as quiet going into drafts this year, but uh, it's still somebody you should keep an eye out for. At number 14, I have my favorite guy, Leon Dreisaitl. His stock fell considerably, as it seems to be a fixture on his own line at even strength instead of playing with McDavid. But he still managed to put up 70 points in 78 games this year. Took a good amount of shots, coming real close to 200. Uh, he had a pretty stellar 56% faceoff win percentage. And uh, it looks like Ryan Nugent Hopkins is going to be the guy on McDavid's line this year with Drysaddle left to anchor his own line with Lucic and Pujarvi. Or maybe like somebody like Kyler Yamamoto can wiggle their way onto his line or McDavid's line. Uh, we're going to have to wait and see on that that front. I also uh, really, uh, just to interject for a second, I also really like the addition of Pontus Auberg. I think he's going to be a good player on that team. I know they have him down there all the way on the fourth line right now, but I think he has a chance with his skill set and his speed that he would actually probably be somebody that would be really good to play with McDavid. Uh, as far as left wings go, I think Nugent Hopkins, Nugent Hopkins no, Nugent, has a lot. Yeah, but also Nugent Hopkins has a history of being hurt often. I'm just saying with his skill set and how he plays, he's going to be better on that first line, which is their speed line, as opposed to that second line, which is a bunch of big fucking dudes. Yeah, the BFG line, man. Yeah, so they, going, they really are. Going back to that uh, the second line center thing, Drysaddle's definitely up there in that conversation. He is one of the better second line centers out there. He still gets to play with McDavid on the power play where – Drysaddle only had 11 points this year compared to last year's 27 points. So keep him in mind. He put up 59 even strength points for a majority of the time uh, he was on his own line. So 59 points without McDavid, that's not bad. So if if he can come back to that, if Edmonton can come back to that, that power play stature that they were a couple of years ago instead of being like bottom of the league, then you're going to see Drysaddle pushing a point per game, even on his own line. I don't care if he's playing with McDavid or not, but... I, I still think he he has a chance to be one of the best players in in the game. Not like you know top twenty, but he he's definitely a fantasy asset. So keep him in mind when other people draft him. Like he is playing with McDavid. Don't feel bad if you miss out on him in your drafts, but he could be somebody that gets overdrafted this year. So don't take him too early. 
is a guy you're probably looking at probably sixth round, something like that, probably even a little later. We already did my number 14 center, which was uh, Nicholas Backstrom. Let's move on to 13, which we already went over my number 13 because you already talked about Brayden Shen. Who you okay. got, T? I got Jack Eichel, and uh, I actually wrote this list before the addition of Jeff Skinner, but I still like him at number 13. The The top 12 that I have is pretty set in stone. But Jack Eichel, we're, we're waiting for that first 82-game season. He played 81 in his first year and then 61 and 67 games in the years that followed. Uh, he posted his career high in shots in the year he played the fewest amount of games. He has over 209 NHL games played and has 733 shots to show for it. That's a 3.5 shots per game across his career. 64 points in 67 games and 57 points in 61 games the year before that. So he's so close to a point-per-game status. Many of us want to see him and what he can do in a full season. He can easily surpass the 80-point mark, especially now playing with Jeff Skinner. Uh, he's really bad at face-offs, but it, he makes up for it in shots and power play points. The plus-minus is a bit daunting, but hey, Buffalo is on the rise right now, aren't they? So he's definitely cemented into that first-line center role, possible line mates in Jeff Skinner and Sam Reinhart. That seems to be pretty set in stone. And Sam Reinhart really lit up the second half of last year. That line's going to be pretty productive. I'm not saying Buffalo's going to make the playoffs or anything close to that. The plus-minus is going to go up, but maybe not by much, but Jack Eichel... If given the opportunity to stay healthy, you know, don't fuck your ankle up this year for the first time, please. We're looking at a 75 to 85 point guy. I can feel you on the points, TJ. I don't know if he's an 85 point player. Time will tell. Number one, I need to see that he will stay healthy. Number two, as far as draft position goes, if you were strictly in a points league, I could see him being on this list, but for the sole fact that he literally does nothing but get points like that, that's all he does. He's not going to hit. He's not getting you pims. He's not getting you blocks. He's atrocious on faceoffs. He He's down at around, what, 41%? 41 and a half, and that's a career high. Yeah, that tells you everything you need to know. I don't have him on my list. That doesn't mean that I don't like Jack Eichel and don't want him on my team, but it really depends on what kind of league you're in. Uh, in an all-points league, then yeah, I feel I feel you. You could draft him in the in the sixth or seventh round, but I'm not going too high on Jack Eichel. Um, but we were we were also saying in the draft strategy episode that uh, in the first like five rounds, you're drafting for offense only, and I could easily see Jack Eichel making that first five round window. Just going along with that, you get your you get your offense covered early in drafts, and then then you start worrying about the uh, the all around players outside of like Marshand and stuff like that, who are number one offensively elite, and then also have that peripheral stuff to go with it. And I, I will agree that I mean anybody on that very top line is going to be worth having once you get down into the mean potatoes of the team. Uh, it's just not not so. We'll just say that. All right, my number twelve you already took care of, and. Uh, I spoke about is Alexander Barkov, 11, Bergeron, we already spoke on. Are your number 11 so, and 12? So, my, so my number 12 is Philly's own, Sean Couturier. Yes. Do you even have Couturier on, on your list? No, and that's a complete oversight on my part. I was going to say, wow, that uh, that hurts that hurts Sean's feelings. Uh, I'm going to have to I'm going to have to let Couturier know how you feel about him. <laughs> I'm sorry, dude. My bad, I'm, bud. I'm big on Couturier. I think it was an incredibly smart move to move him to that top center position. That's why I had Giroux on my left wing list, and I have Couturier's number 12. He had 76 points this year, which is just 
to say career high is an understatement. Yeah, far and away. Um, it's it's almost double his career high previously. He was killing it. He did double his career high on goals. He had 31 goals and uh, 45 assists. Literally, he almost doubled all of his offensive stats. He, he even came close in shots. So before we get too deep into Sean Couturier, I do want to say that because it is the first year in his first line position that we don't exactly have, uh, we can't trend, you know, all of his stats. So looking from 16, 17 and prior, it's all him on the second line, the third line. Uh, didn't get much first power play time, but yeah, it's it's just whether or not he was a flash in the pan or not is, is my worry. And I'm not going to say that's why I kept him off my list. To be honest with you, I think I just forgot about him. He probably would have fell... Let me think. Let me look back at my list. Uh, probably between Trocek and Getzlav over at uh, 17. So he should have been on my list. My fault. I'm glad I have him on my list. He's somebody I want in both points leagues and especially in a category league. He's great in the faceoff circle. He took over 1,000 faceoffs. He was at 51 or 52.8%, pardon me. And his shooting percentage really isn't that far off his career average either. So, I mean, he took more shots than he ever has before at 227, and he was at a 13.7 shooting percentage. So not only are you taking more shots, but you upped your shooting percentage, which tells me you're taking smart shots. And that's one thing that I will say that Philadelphia does, almost to the point where it's maddening, actually, uh, where they will keep on looking for that perfect shot, perfect shot, perfect shot. Sometimes it doesn't work out for him. It seems to have worked out really well for Sean Couturier. Remember, he got moved up to that front line, and he's going against the other team's best. But it also helps when you get an extra three minutes on ice. And I think the shots and the shooting percentage has a lot to do with his deployment this year. It was the first time he'd ever been in a first-line role. He pretty much grabbed that thing by the balls, man. He, He was not scared one bit, really embraced the role. Took more shots, like you said, career high in shooting percentage. And I think that's something we're going to see going forward just because being in that top line role, he he knows he needs to shoot. He's playing with two of the best players on Philadelphia, usually in Travis Konechny and uh, always in Claude Giroux. I think uh, it's definitely repeatable, but um, I feel a little safer calling him a 65 to 70 point guy than a 76, but I'd be even happier if he, if he keeps going with that. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that uh, I hope that uh, that Konechny is going to take a, a step forward this year. Obviously, you can only imagine that Claude Giroux is going to take a step back. I mean, it's hard to it's hard to repeat a hundred plus point uh, outing at a seventeen plus point shooting percentage, but we'll see. If Couturier gets seventy points and and Giroux gets say eighty five, we're mm. still having a, a pretty decent season. And I think uh, Travis Konechny is really going to play a big role in that too just because him and Drew play a honestly kind of a different game than Couturier. So it's kind of weird how well they worked out together just because they really do all play a very different kind of game. But maybe that's why Sean Couturier is so good on that line because he's the one that can be trusted to really lock people down. Yeah, he's a very good two-way player. Came in second for the Selkie behind Anzi Kopitar. So he did beat out Bergeron for his own trophy this year. Okay, so moving on to number 11. Uh, number 11 for me was Patrice Bergeron, and I think... Oh, that's um, right. You did say that earlier. Your number 11 is my number 10 if we're talking about Evgeny Kuznetsov. We are talking about Evgeny Kuznetsov. I mean, what else can you say about him? He's, at least to start off the year, he's going to be on line with Alex Ovechkin. 
Uh, yeah, that's his he, job to lose. If, if if he loses it, it, it's his own fault. Yeah. Um, so this past year, had a great season, 83 points, 27 goals, 56 assists. But, I mean, you're going to have a lot of assists when you're passing Alex Ovechkin. It's just going to happen. Was pretty helpful on uh, on Pims. He had 48. Not too crazy, but not horrible. Not really going to help you out too much on hits and blocks. But honestly, that's Ovechkin's job. Ovechkin is out there getting all the hits. You just have to be behind him to pick up loose pucks. And let's not forget <laughs> about Tom Wilson, who's on the same line. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just not his job. One thing I would like to see out of Kuznetsov, though, is shots. Yeah, 200 plus. Shots. Jeez, Jesus Christ. Uh, I mean, he was at 187 last year, which, come on, dude. I want to see, I want to see more out of you. Now, the shooting percentage, I'm not too worried about. He was at a 14-4 this past year, which is a solid three points above his career average. But another thing, if you're playing with Ovechkin, you're probably going to get better shots because there are people cheating to Ovechkin's side. They're always going to cheat towards him. You should get better shots. It's just you play with a player like Ovechkin, you're going to get more opportunities. That's why I want to see him take more shots because he's going to have the ability to get more of an open look than Ovi will. We've seen Kuznetsov's hands. The kid's got fantastic fucking hands. I want him shooting more. As far as face-offs go, he's kind of shitty in the face-off circle, in all honesty. Right. I mean, he he was at 44% this past year, had a little over a 1,000 face-offs. But, I mean, it's not like that's too far off his career average either because his career average over these past five seasons has been 45%. So it's not like he's really ever killed in the face-off circle. I want the player that's playing alongside Ovechkin, especially if you have Ovechkin. Oh, yeah. If you guys can get that tandem, if you can stack that line, that would be, you know, that that's just, it seems unstoppable, at least. It, it's really intimidating. Kuzi had his first point-per-game season this year, and like we've been saying, he spent most of the season playing with Ovechkin, which is usually Backstrom's spot, which is why, if you notice, Backstrom is not in my top 10. He did have 30 power play points and 83 points in 79 games played, 187 shots, at 14.4. This is another guy who's not great in the fit. I'm just reading my stuff. Like a lot of this is redundant. 187. Uh, yeah. 187 shots at 14.4%. Now I'm just tripping. Yeah, over I, already, I already went over all this. So we, we did talk about how he's like not great in the face-off circle, but he makes up for it with the offense. He exploded offensively. Look for him. What rounds four or five. I'm, I'm going to guess. Where would you draft um, I, I could see that. I know last year he got drafted much, much lower than four or five. I would probably stick closer to the uh, round five. If he's out there at four, I'd be a little hesitant to take him unless I already had a player like Ovechkin because, like we were saying, that one-two punch could be a really serious fucking threat. That would be the reason I would possibly stretch to get him in a round four. If you if you took Ovi round one and Kuznetsov is out there round four, that's a perfectly fine spot to take him. Yeah, that's a smart move then. I mean, you're um, pretty, you're pretty much giving yourself a guaranteed 160, 170 points just in general. Half of that coming from your fourth round pick. So I mean that that's a that's a big deal. So I mean take that kind of thing into consideration. A lot of these players that uh, we may say are in the fifth round, they might be a little more worthwhile to you. Have a little more um, definitely be more valuable. 
just because of who your first round pick was. Okay, um, so honestly, you're number ten. I think we talked about that. Yeah, with William Carlson, I'm pretty, right? pretty sure we're jumping right to number nine. And I think we agree here. Had, we're both gonna we're both gonna talk about Tyler Sagan. What? Here we go, man. This is the first time it took eleven players. Well, yeah. not just eleven players, eleven spots with like twenty players worth of people, almost kind of, for us to finally agree on something, and that is Tyler Sagan. He hit the 40-goal mark for the first time in his career. 38 helpers on top of that. He took 335 shots, which was good for second most in the league, only behind Ovechkin. And that was only 20 shots behind Ovechkin, mind you. Uh, that being said, 25 points on the power play, 55% in the faceoff circle, 74 hits, 44 blocks, 43 pims, and a plus 12. Those are the stats of somebody worth drafting really early. Well, maybe not like really early, but he's, he's a steal in the third round, I'm going to think. And on top of all of that, he is a pending UFA this year. So my man is playing for money. We love to see that. You know they have that little extra fire in them. He's probably going to eclipse his totals from this year. And I think you can hold me to that, man. He shot like straight on career average as far as his shooting percentage at 11.9. His career average is 11.3. So there's really nothing that jumps off the page. That's honestly my favorite part about all of this. You take 335 shots, you would think automatically – okay, your shooting percentage is going to go down. No, that didn't happen here. I mean, it's not like it went way up or anything, but it was right on par. It was a little bit higher than his career average, but you're taking that many extra shots or that many more shots than you really have in the past. I mean, last year he took 300, but last year was the first time he ever took more than 300 shots. When you're doing that alongside having your having your shooting percentage, be right on par with what you can do. Yeah. I, I think that's super exciting. I mean, hey, what a, what a top line in Dallas. You know what I mean? And unfortunately, all of their talent pool uh, kind of gets a lot shallower after that first line. Tyler Sagan has really proven that he is a steady talent in the league. And when you're playing with someone like Jamie Benn and then Alexander Radilov on your other side, he has a 75-point floor at the very least. Yeah. And that's... That's just my thought, but I also think that he that he could very possibly get up to like 80, 85, no problem. I don't think it's before. yeah, I don't think it's uh out of the realm of possibility uh at all. If the stars are to make a run this year, Tyler Sagan's gonna be a big part of it. Yeah, he's playing on a really productive first line. He's definitely worth somebody somebody worth drafting pretty high. Don't feel bad if you get him in the second round. Don't feel bad if you get him in the third round. Start jumping up and down if you get him in the fourth. I don't think that's going to happen in any league, but if it does happen, you better be the one to pull the trigger. Uh, my number eight, you have, I believe, at number four, if we're talking about Mark Shifley. I like Mark Shifley, man. I don't know yeah. what there is, and I don't know what there is to not like about Mark Shifley. Mark Shifley, yeah. my number eight. He was an on the dot point per game guy. He had sixty points in sixty games. Uh, he was out of the lineup for six weeks with that shoulder injury. That didn't slow him down. He had one hundred and twenty five shots in those sixty games. So just about two a game, sustaining that wildly high shooting percentage. So his career high or his career average is fourteen point nine. But, but he's also not years, taking a ton of shots. For the, yeah, two years ago in seventy nine games. He took 160 shots and 32 of them went in for real even 20%. And I remember saying in last year's episodes that, oh, there's no chance that that happens. You know, for this year, playing three quarters of the same amount of games, he put up just about three quarters amount of goals. So it seems like he's going to be a career high shooting percentage guy. 
Uh, he did improve on his faceoff wins. He hit around one hit per game, blocked about a half block per game, so one block every two games. Uh, 16 power play points in 60 games. So obviously we know the Jets are good as fuck. Shifley's a stud. Uh, another point per game season is on the way, and I'm going to guarantee that one too. A lot of these ones I'm going to guarantee because it, when we're talking about these top 10 centers, there's so little room for disparity. Like these guys are tried and true. So I mean, I'll say four. I'll say this. I, I definitely have no problem with you guaranteeing that he is a point per game player because he is. He's gonna be on that top line. He's getting the time on ice where he's getting 20 plus minutes a game. He's gonna be playing with Kyle Connor this year. On the other side, he's playing with Blake Wheeler. We love Blake Wheeler. I mean, oh, yeah. what is there not to love? Chiefly is gonna be a big part of that. He is a just he's an assist machine. I've seen him make some crazy awesome passes. If he can stay healthy this year, it's not like he hasn't been a particularly healthy guy this past year. He just had a little bit of problems. But I do wish that he would take more shots. It's not like Kyle Connor is a super high shooter, although Blake Wheeler is. At some point in time, you still have to be scared of that high shooting percentage. I know it seems like that is just the trend of how he plays, if he does regress, that's where he's going to regress. If he's only taken 125, 130, 150 shots, if he regresses off that 18.4%, even down to like an 11, you're going to see a drastic drop in points. Now, I hope that doesn't happen. Yeah, and I'd like pretty, I'd like to see him get up to like three shots a game. Yeah, pretty much. I, I will say this. The entire top six in Winnipeg is incredibly draftable. Oh, yeah. Like wildly draftable. Maybe the worst part of that top six is Kyle Connor. Put up 30-plus goals as a rookie last year. I'm excited to see what he does. All right, so let, how about let's do this real quick. Let's rank the top six in order of drafting. Are you drafting Shifley or Line A first? Line A. And then Shifley or then Wheeler? Okay, so I think Line A is round one. I think Wheeler is round, a round two talent. I think Shifley is a round three talent. You think Shifley's around two? I think, and, and don't get me wrong. I think Shifley could go in the in the second round. But for me personally, even though I do have him at number four, it is the shooting percentage that scares me. And I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie about that. So I would say that he's more of a third round talent. So Wheeler, he hit point per game for the first time this year. He had 91 points in 81 games. I think I'm taking. We'll, I'm, I'm going to take Shifley first. So I'll agree with you. Patrick Liney gets drafted first out of this, out of these top six. But then I think I'm going to go Shifley and then Wheeler not far behind him at all. So, and then like a, I think, so that's three out of the top six. Yeah. And shoulders is your second line left winger, Nikolai Ehlers. I not think that's, behind him that's just, Little. that's just hand, that's just hands down. Um, but I think Nikolai Ehlers is probably more of like a, um, like a six, I would say six round. Yeah. How do you feel about six rounds? Six is uh, still and, a little early for me, but yeah, it's somewhere around there. And then Brian Little is kind of going to be more of like, he's going to be double digits. Yeah, he's late. And Kyle Connor is going to be draftable, but probably not until like the 14th round for me. Okay, I'll take that. So you're going line eight, then Wheeler, then Shifley, Ehlers, Little, Connor. And I'm going line A, Shifley, Wheeler, and then I'll follow you suit four through six. Yeah, so I mean, I'm actually, that is the most that TJ and I have agreed on something for a long, long time. Just wait till we get to number six. Well, I, 
I can wait. Okay, so we talked about uh, your number eight. We're going to talk about my number eight next, and that is Nathan McKinnon. Just wondering, where do you have McKinnon? Uh, McKinnon. I think I have him number four. Yep, number four. Okay, fair enough. So we so we actually flip-flopped our fours and eights. Yep. I have McKinnon at number eight. Um, and, I mean, in all honesty, that was one hell of a breakout year that McKinnon had. It was... I'm not going to lie. It, it was impressive. And the Avs definitely don't plan on regressing considering their offseason moves, especially picking up somebody like Grubauer and getting that solid one-two punching goalie. And the top line of McKinnon, Landeskog, and Rantanen looks to really be a good one. I mean, we already know what Landeskog is. He's a solid player who's always going to be there. His skill set, we already know it. Rantanen is kind of like the wild card in this one. We'll see if Randon can really back up what him and McKinnon did last year. Now, for me, they're a little top-heavy, kind of like what we talked in the last segment with Dallas. Let's see if it was a flash in the pan. Yeah, that um, drop-off is pretty big. Oh, the, the drop-off is pretty solid. In all honesty, I mean, Alexander Kerfoot is a fine player. Sven Andragetto is a fine player. It's not like they're the worst second line, but they're certainly by far not the best. As far as McKinnon goes, though, you can't argue with 97 points. <laughs> I mean, it's hard. Four it's, games. it's hard to do so. 39 goals, 58 assists. He's not killing it on a lot of other things except for shots. I mean, he took a good amount of shots. He took 284 shots. I like uh, his power play, 32 points on <laughs> power play. I'll give I'll give you that. Okay, power play. He did. He actually did do very well on the power Shit play. For faceoffs. He had twelve power play goals, and then he also uh, chipped in another twenty assists on the power play. But yeah, I mean faceoffs. He did pretty shitty, and that was with over eleven hundred faceoffs. He was at forty one point nine percent. Just being. I know. I know you're. It. Yeah. I, I'm. I am. I'm concerned, and I just don't know if this is the real Colorado Avalanche. Like that's all. I hope it is, because don't get me wrong, I actually like the Colorado Avalanche. I don't dislike Nathan McKinnon. I don't think that he... He played like a first-round draft pick, but I don't think that he's a first-round a first round draft pick. It's it's it comes yeah. For me, it comes down to being that simple. I mean, his career shooting percentage is a 9.4. He happened to have a, a 13.7 this year. Like He just totally demolished all of his previous highs. But you got to consider that the last three years of his career outside of this one, he had a 6.4, 8.6, and a 7.3, which is low for even league standards. So maybe, and I do believe that he is a high shooting percentage guy. So I think 13.7 is what we're going to look at. But just like we were talking about Sean Couturier, who it's like, okay, well, we can't, we, he doubled all of his previous yeah. highs. Sean Couturier, he wasn't out there on the first line. McKinnon was. It's not like this is just the first time McKinnon got thrown onto the first line. Yeah. His previous career high was in his rookie year. Yeah. I mean, he, he's always had really good deployment on pretty much everything. He actually played three seconds less on average this year. I mean, it was a shit show year for them last year. I don't, I, I have no idea what happened, but yeah, I'll agree with you, man. I, I have some issues here, but I am kind of comfortable having him at number four. I, don't get me wrong. I'm fine with having him in my top 10. Number four is just way too early for me. That's all. All right. So like we were saying, man, uh, 97 points in 74 games. That is 1.31 points per game. Jesus, fuck. 
So that's, that's good for second in the league behind McDavid, and that's just .01 behind him. So my issue is his previous career high, like we were saying, of 63 points and a shooting percentage 4% over his average. Uh, he did have a career low shooting percentage last year, but that was during the shit show year that Colorado had. I do believe that this is the elite talent that we're going to be looking at, and he will be able to sustain a high shooting percentage. Again, my concern is that he hasn't done it before. The chances for a repeat like this are slim. So we said 32 power play points, almost 300 shots. He's got some work to do in the faceoff circle. Like we fucking talked about that. He He's not being drafted for that. Not the guy for the physical stuff. Uh, he did have 55 penalty minutes, which is not bad for you guys to have that as a counting stat. So I'm definitely comfortable with McKinnon as my number four after a year where his average draft position was over 100. So he was like a, you know, 11 or 12th round pick last year. He had to have been the biggest steal of the draft. His status as an under radar player is, is like way gone. Like there's no mm -hmm. shot. He's going to get, he's going to get snagged in the first three rounds. Uh, I'm leaning towards the third round. I'll agree with you on this one. He's not a first round draft pick, even though he played like that. Um, I'm leaning towards the third round because he is still a high risk, high reward player. I'd rather go for somebody tried and true in those first couple rounds. Um, somebody is likely going to grab McKinnon way too early. But like I said, go for those tried and true guys. That's my way to go. I'd love to see him go in the third round and would definitely take him then, but I don't think it's going to happen. I think somebody else is going to go for him seeing the 97 points in 74 games. The projections are going to probably be way out the ass in ESPN and, and Yahoo. And uh, somebody's going to snag him. Just go with those guys that are just consistent. That's what I'm trying to get at, though. So at your number four, you you have Nathan McKinnon, and you're saying he's a third round guy. That just seems really late for for I don't know. Seems a little late. Okay. Yeah, so. you could be right because I, I think the guys I have ranked at number five and number six, and even number seven could be first or second round guys. But I don't know. I I, I think he was the fourth best center on the list that's why i have him so high but also have to add in the fact that i'm not taking him until the third round i gotta use my eye test all right so moving forward number seven yeah number seven Couple you want to rock paper, paper. Hey, you want to let's throw something you want to rock paper scissors for who goes first all right yeah go ahead okay you ready rock paper scissors shoot paper okay you got scissors I you win, win. So I'm winning. Okay, good, because every chance I get to talk about Austin Matthews, I want to go first to really kind of to really kind of lay into my point. Where where do you have Matthews? You have Matthews like uh number one, right? I have Matthews number five. No, you I have like you. number five, yeah. So I have him at number seven. I, I'm actually surprised you have him higher than I do. There's yeah, so just, we were saying I mean, eight eight and four for us were flip flopped. Five and seven for us are flip flopped too. Oh wow, really? Yep. Okay, fair enough. So, so it's like a bookend thing going on right now. Okay, so I'm going to start out with this. Uh, one thing I'm actually a little pissed about, I love the fact that Nylander is still going to be playing with Matthews. They're fantastic together. I wish Zach Hyman was on that first line. Why is Zach Hyman playing on the second line instead of fucking Patrick Marlowe? Uh, Patrick, Patrick Marlowe is like 60 years old. Why yeah, is he not on? Why is he not on at least the second line? I mean, honestly, I don't know who that who else they would put on that uh on that second line. Okay, so that being said, and even though I'm a little pissed about that, Matthews and Nylander have like this great rapport, and they've really proven that they work well together. And I personally think that Matthews is like a generational talent, but that's just me. He went number one for a reason. 
And that is because he is better than Patrick Laine, no matter what <laughs> Patrick Laine thinks. One thing I am worried about, and this will make a difference for Austin Matthews' season. Don't get it twisted. William Nylander is a restricted free agent, and he is still looking for a long-term deal. It has not happened. I am to understand that his agent and the Maple Leafs are still working together. I believe that they will get it done because just like we were talking about before with some other teams, we, we said this about the Wild, the time for the Maple Leafs is right fucking now. Yeah. They have this super young team. This is the time that they need to do it. Okay. Because when it comes down to in the future, my guess is it's going to come down to, okay, who are we keeping? Austin Matthews or Mitch Marner? Later, Mitch. Uh, uh, Kyle Dubas seems to believe he can get all three signed. It's going to be hard to do, especially when you already have John Tavares on that team. Um, yeah, Marlo, Marlo's got like three more years at 6.5 or something outlandish like that. They're yeah, going to have to fucking move him. They're, I, I just I don't I don't believe that they can keep Needlander, Matthews, and Marner. It's, it's going to be really fucking hard to do. But step number one is getting Needlander down with a long-term deal. So this kid isn't playing the beginning of his season, being an, an RFA, and really kind of wondering his future about the uh, about the team. I want his head to be on straight because that's going to only help Austin Matthews. Now, as for Matthews, as far as last season goes, it's not like he okay. It's he didn't have the best season in the world. He a decent season. He had sixty three points, thirty four uh, thirty four goals, twenty nine assists. Now, don't get me wrong, he had a he had a better rookie season. Uh, I, actually, no, I like his because he only played 62 games. So he was above a point per game last year. And then the oh, year that's true. That. I'll, I'll yeah. give you that. So, I mean, he uh, he was hurt uh, quite a bit last year. So he only had 34, 34 goals. I don't want him getting pims because I want the generational. Well, I don't. I, yeah. That's Stay healthy, that, bud. There's like one guy on each team that like you don't want hitting people. You would they're more important to you on the ice, obviously, than anything else. So yeah. I want him on the ice. He doesn't hit. Surprise, surprise. He did have 61 blocks, which he needs to get the fuck out of the way. Don't block. I want you to have zero blocks unless you just <laughs> unless you just happen to like run into a friggin' puck. As we were saying, uh, with him only playing 62 games last season, uh, his numbers are gonna be a little slighted. Um, he had 187 shots, but he did shoot at an 18.2 clip. Now, as far as his career average goes, in the two years that he's been in the league, he's had a 15.9. So I don't think 18% is really totally out of like, you know what I mean? Totally yeah. out of the norm. And like um, you're saying, he's a generational talent. He's going to be a career high shooting percentage guy. And the same thing goes for his faceoff wins. Um, his first year in the league, he was below 50%. This past year, he was at fifty four and a half percent. Yeah, big improvements there. And and that's the kind of thing that you really want to see going um into your second year. It's it's just a comfortability thing. I have him at number seven. I have no problem with you having him at number five. Now I will say above number five for this year, I think it would be hard to put him higher than number five. As much as I love Austin Matthews, and I'm just saying this year, next year, two years from now. He's going to be, a, I honest to God, think that he is going to be a top three center in the league, and I don't think there's 
any doubt about that, or at least I don't have any. In his two years in the NHL, he has 132 points in 144 games. So he's nearing in on a career point per game, but he did miss a total of 20 games last year, and that accounts for 12% of his NHL career. I know that I'm probably reading way too much into this. You know, he's only two years in. Um, drafting Matthews and then having him on your bench for 20 games really puts a bad taste in your mouth. So like you're saying, he's still like probably a first-round guy, um, second round even. But if he can produce at a point per game in those 62 games with 34 goals, 29 assists, 13 power play points, if he can stay healthy this year and having John Tavares on the team now, that's going to divert attention away from him. So he could easily be an 85-point player. Just imagine him going up against Boston and Boston decides to put Bergeron up against Tavares. And then Austin Matthews doesn't have to play against Bergeron. As we know, he was kept quiet in the playoffs last year against that line. That would mean that Austin Matthews is now going up against David Krejci, who he's going to fucking torch all night. So, <laughs> dude. so I think Austin Matthews can easily hit. He can be a 100-point player in the next few years, maybe even this year. His shots did dip a, a bit down from 3.4 shots a game in his rookie year to three shots a game this year. You heard me before. I like not those a, three not shots a, a game. Not a crazy dip. And there's no, there's nothing to say that he can't bring that back up. And that's not to say that three shots a game is bad. I'm just stating the facts there. I, I really like Matthews. I'm surprised you have Tavares ahead of Matthews, considering that Matthews is the first line center and then Tavares is the second line guy. Yeah, I have, I have Tavares down at seven. So if you want me, I'll jump right into him. Okay. Yeah. I mean, well, there's no reason not to. Let's just uh, stick in Toronto, and uh, you start off on Tavares, and I'll, I'll tell you why I had him at five. Go ahead. All right, so Tavares had 30 power play points, 37 goals, 47 assists, 257 shots, and a 53% faceoff win percentage on a team that's way worse than the Maple Leafs. The move to Toronto has people in the media calling him, like calling for a 100-point season from both Matthews and Tavares this year. Like, it's crazy. I'm not so sure I'm on board with that, but I do see Tavares passing the point per game mark uh, once again this year with probably upside for like 90 to 95 points. The power play is going to be disgusting. Marner is going to see a boost, and I think John Tavares is going to see a boost too. Okay, so I'm I'm fine with having them switched. I I am. It's just that John Tavares is John <laughs> fucking Tavares. It's a fucking he's, traitor. He's but he's great. I can't help it. No, in, in all seriousness, I mean John Tavares is. I'm glad he got traded. Fucking Matt Barzell is way better anyway. Matt uh, Matt Barzell. John Tavares, didn't even make my point. Yeah, John. Okay, so John Tavares has been in the league for nine seasons. That that that's why I'm putting him at number five ahead of Austin Matthews. He is super proven. He is super steady. Last year he had 84 points. You know what I mean? He's had more 80 point seasons than Matthews has been in the league. Okay, oh, so yeah. so so that's where I'm coming from. He's still slotting into a really good line. He's going to be playing with Zach Hyman, who is a young, hungry player. And then on the other side, he has Mitch Marner, who's another young, hungry player. They all pass well. So pretty much all they need to do is skate around, pass the puck to John Tavares. He's going to throw the puck on net. Mitch Marner is going to do the same. Now, I don't think that Zach Hyman is going to get the kind of goals that he has in the past two years. But I think it's a really good spot for John. And, I mean, in all honesty, hey, congratulations, John Tavares. Congrats, man. You got the fuck out. You're 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 out of New York, and yeah. not only are you out of New York, but you're at a contender. That's exactly what the, he was going for. With the addition of John Tavares, Toronto is a serious contender. 
not just a yeah. contender like possible, but like a serious contender in the East. And they don't even need to play 82 games. They should just like, you know, go to go on vacation for the regular season and then just wind up in the playoffs as the first seed. But yeah, I mean, I I think he just he's going to a really he's going to what I think is honestly like the perfect spot for him. Like it was either this or the only spot that could have been better for him is what maybe Tampa. Yeah, I guess he could have. Uh, yeah, he could have pushed Tyler Johnson out of that center spot. Fuck yeah, he could have. I mean, I, I I might be able to push Tyler Johnson out of that center spot. <laughs> All right. At number six, we agree on Evgeny Malkin. Woo! He was just behind McKinnon and just ahead of Kucherov in points per game. I'm going to start right there. That's Evgeny Malkin for you. So he fell two points shy of hitting the 100-point mark this year with 42 goals, 56 assists. He hauled in 87 penalty minutes, scored 14 goals on the power play, and 24 power play assists for 38 power play points all day. He shot 239 times at 17.6. He's fucking trash on faceoffs, but he still takes them. And he laid out pretty, you know, a few hits here and there. Malkin's an all-around stud. He gets those shots. He gets penalty minutes, power play points, offensive numbers. And when he is healthy, he's one of the top three forwards in the game. But keep in mind, over the last five seasons, that Malkin has missed 84 games. That's an entire season in the last five seasons that he has not played. That's over 20% of his games. That's why he's ranked lower on my list. That's why he is a high risk, high reward, but nonetheless, one of the best centers in the game. Easily the best second line center that's in the NHL right now. Yeah, hands down. But when you have Sidney Crosby on the first line, and then you also have Phil Kessel on that second line playing with Malkin, there was a time where Phil Kessel was the leading point getter on this team on that team this year. Malkin can sit out a game and Phil Kessel can man that second line. Yeah. And they just kind of they just kind of put in little pieces. They'll put in Connor Sheary here and well, they're not going to do that this year, but they have enough patchwork it. Yeah. So they like put in all these like players that most people don't know of, you know what I mean? Like Reese. Yeah. Sprong. Just turn them into superstars. All you need to do is like be downwind of Sidney Crosby and you're awesome at hockey. Exactly. So it's like it could be Malkin, Kessel, and you on the second line, and they're going to be a badass line. You guys are going to kick ass, TJ. I'll be like plus 10, and I will <clears throat> never touch the puck. You All you need to do is like stand at the circle and just pass it. As soon as you get it, like it's fucking fire on your stick. <laughs> just get rid of the puck and pass it to Phil Kessel or, or Evgeny Malkin. But yeah, so I mean, how can you complain about 98 points, though? No, you can't. Top three and, in the league for points per game. And it's 78 games, no less. I mean, that... that He hasn't played uh, 78 games since 2008, 2009, and 2007, 2008. He played two healthy seasons. Since then, he has never played a full season. Yeah, and I mean, those are... The next closest is 11 and 12 when he put up a league-leading 109 points. Yeah, I mean, to say the least, it is uh, B-A-N-A-N-A-S. <laughs> this shit is bananas. So at number five, we already talked about Matthews and Tavares. Um, number four, I talked about McKinnon, and you talked about Shifley. Let's get into the top three. What do you say? Okay. All right. So you are back with Five Hole Fantasy. We are talking about center rankings today. You're with TJ Branson and I'm uh, Zach Vogel. We are getting into the meat and potatoes. Top three. So again, we have we have the same three. Just in different orders. This always seems to happen. Like the top three is so easy. It's just where do you put them? 
Yeah, uh, I think we have the same number three, though, right? No, uh, my number three is your number one. What? Yeah, so there's a little bit of despair. We we do not agree on any of the top three here. I say we just talk about each of them. Uh, we'll start. Let's go, Sidney Crosby. Okay. So we're we're already talking about Malkin. Let's just stay in Pittsburgh. So kind of like what we were talking about just now, that whole like front line, especially playing with Sidney Crosby, just always seems to be in flux. And then it's that second line with Malkin and Kessel that those three players are always slotted into their spots. Like it's going to happen that way. And then they kind of move players around. We named a couple of them, throw Jake Gensel's name in there. And it's like, there's always just random players that they put with these guys. When you're Sidney fucking Crosby, and as much as I hate Sidney freaking Crosby, you want to talk about another generational player. Like he's, he just is, he's going to, moonwalk into the fucking nhl hall of fame yeah we've seen this guy do one-handed top shelf goals oh my that backhand one the oh. back backhanded one-handed top shelf goal it it's was Sydney, it's sydney fucking crosby while he, was like, while he was like fall getting dragged to the ice he's good at hockey god uh, damn it I fucking we really there's no reason for us to like defend his numbers or anything he he's sydney crosby like yeah. it's easy enough. If you're if you're making it into the top three right now, like we don't have to defend this. It's just people want to argue, oh, he's number one. Yeah, fine, whatever. It's he's so good. Yeah, on, on top of the fact that most likely he's gonna be playing with Jake Gensel this year, who he is at least has some time with. Yeah, and then he's gonna have a healthy Patrick Hornquist coming back. Okay, I, yeah, I mean that's uh that's an intimidating first line, and then you got the number one power play in the NHL. Yeah, which, which he's on. He hasn't shot less than 237 shots in five years straight. Face-off percentage at 53%, decent amount of hits and blocks, you know, whatever. 38 points on the power play too, man. He's Sidney fucking Crosby. He's good at hockey. Draft him in the first round. Done. Yeah, I mean, he's easily a first-round, uh, like, top-five kind of guy. Unless you're in a league that, like, really holds goalies heavy. Mm-hmm then he's still a top five. Yeah, like, there's no, there's no it, chance. It, it's it's just the way it is. Just like every other year, especially with uh, with this whole Hornquist thing coming back, him and Crosby play really well together. It's just going to be another year where smart money is to pick fucking Pittsburgh coming out of the East. I mean, thank God there's other teams that have made like real advances. Um like we were saying, uh, Toronto's fantastic. Tampa Bay is fucking fantastic. The East is gonna the East is gonna be killer. What I'm worried about is the East is just gonna beat up on each other <laughs> so much all year. While while the f- very few good teams out in the West are just gonna be able to fucking cruise, cruise all year long. This is gonna be a real fun year to watch. Um, I think so too. So you have Crosby at number three. I have Crosby at number two. That leaves our number one and number three open. Um, okay. My number three, Steven Stamkos. The Tampa Bay Lightning could be the most potent offense in the NHL. Could and be. Could, could be. be. Yeah. Goals goals per game. I think they were uh, either second or third. What the hell? So the page I brought up is like nothing but fucking porn right now. It's just cheering. Oh, so it is porn. Could be. Stamkos centers that top line and top power play. He put up 27 goals last year and 86 points in 78 games played. Uh, he put in 72 PIMS, 
200 over 200 shots, 61 hits, face-offs at 52.2%, and a plus-minus of plus 18. He's easily a point-per-game guy. 33 points on the power play makes him easily one of the top five centers in next year's draft. I could see an argument for some of my lower-ranked guys to be in the number three spot, but guys like McKinnon, Matthews, Malkin, they all have their own issues. McKinnon exploded last year. Matthews missed some time. Malkin had a career-high 78 games played last year since those 82-game years. But it isn't as consistent as Malkin injuries. So I'm really high on Stamkos this year. I'm just really going with my gut, having him at number three. And I can see you're really high on him too. I mean, I'm definitely high on him. Uh, You have him at number three. I am at number fucking one. Stammer's the head of one of the most potent teams and potent lines in the entire hockey league. Okay, uh, what I would consider maybe the best line, if not the uh, very close second behind Boston's first line. So what I want to hear is, how do you have him at number one? What makes him more interesting to you than Connor McDavid? Okay, the team around him. It all comes down to the team around him. So next to him, he is JT Miller, who is just a speed guy. Who can really get down? Who can who can get down the ice? As much as uh, I don't like JT Miller's face, he is a fantastic player. He has great hands. Gets down the ice. Does the forechecking. On the other side, he is Kucherov. Okay, one of the best goal scorers in the game. One of the best hands in the game. So they check all of these boxes off. And then behind him, you got Victor Hedman, who's one of the best defensemen in the game. He has all of these points. There's just going to be points to be had. Stamkos gets a lot of them. I think it's easy to say that they're going to have another great year, and so is Stamkos as long as he as long as he stays healthy. That was obviously his problem two years ago, but in general, he's a pretty healthy guy. Other than the two years ago where he only played 17 games, he's only missed what 11 games the past four years. So yeah, you can't blame can't blame a guy for tearing his ACL. That that shit yeah. just happens. And it didn't slow him down in the least bit. He's still a point-per-game player. He had 86 points in 78 games. Now, I understand he didn't have 100-plus, like somebody else that we're going to talk about. And and don't get me wrong. It's a huge deal. You have 100-plus points. Stamkos is also a guy that has scored 60 goals in a year in his career and 51 at a point. So he scored over 40 goals one, two, three, four times in his 10-year career. Yeah, I, I mean... Number one, uh, that's a little out there for me, but I can I can I can understand your argument. But he's gonna he's gonna help you out on Pims. He's at seventy two Pims last year, and another thing that I love, his career average for shooting percentage. There's not many times where I'm gonna say, hey, this guy's shooting percentage is down, therefore he's a number one. You know what I mean? His yeah. shooting percentage for his career is sixteen point seven. Last year it was twelve point seven. All right, up. he took he took two hundred and twelve shots. If he brings that up to his regular average, he's gonna have he's gonna have another six goals on top of that, TJ. So yeah, so I mean, he brings his uh, shooting percentage up back to his career high because it's not like he took like way um, he took way less shots than he has in the future. I mean, he had one year where he took more than uh, three hundred shots, and that was all the way back in eleven and twelve. That was the year he scored sixty goals too. Yeah. If he takes a lot more than 212 shots and he gets his shooting percentage back up to what his average is. He would break 30, no problem. Probably pushing 35, even close to 40 if he's career average. So my whole thing is, is he is 
a hundred plus ceiling and an eighty-five point floor. Yeah, a fucking right. eighty-five point floor, and and it all comes down to who he is playing with, and that's why I had McDavid at number two because as much as I like uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, Ty Ratty, come on, you know that's going to be Kyler Yamamoto or uh, somebody by the end of the year. They're not going <laughs> to stick with him. Come the fuck on. But I mean, Stamkos took he put uh, Vladislav Nemesnikov into pretty much into superstar like he turned from a stream to a hold and i think that maybe the same thing can happen with tyratty look at what happens with Sidney crosby so the guys that play alongside of our top three centers are going to get better no matter who they are don't so get maybe me tyratty wrong, Ty- is going to be you know a shit player on his own but if he's playing with Conor david then he, he's going to be good and he's going to help mcdavid play even better don't get me wrong tyratty is worth picking up on a day on a daily streamer but yeah, I, I, even, but if do, are you going to draft him? No shot. No, no shot. Are you? Nobody's drafting Daniel Sprong. Nobody's drafting uh, fucking Vladislav Nemesnikov. Yeah, but, but people are going to draft JT Miller. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. JT even, Miller even, hits too. Even when he was on fucking New York, people were drafting JT Miller. Yeah, because I mean, he was worthwhile having. They yeah, have. His stock he has up. a team of just uh, Stamkos. Just has a team of weapons around him that are going to help him get these points. All he needs to do is just pull the fucking trigger. Connor McDavid is fantastic. He is another generational player. He had a hundred and fucking eight points last year. You know what I mean? Like on a but, team, so but imagine it comes what down, happens. But it comes if down his to team the, comes back to them. It comes down to the fact that they spent too much money on two players. TJ, they spent too much money on him and dry So now yeah. They have now they have trash players around them, and except for Ryan Nugent Hopkins, tell me another player on that team that's fucking decent. Go ahead, I'll wait. I'm. I'm should right, I? But should I hold my breath or no? I probably shouldn't hold my breath. But this is a perfect thing. Is I can bring it up, and I'll defend my case. It's McDavid put up two 100 point seasons with a shittier team around him. So yeah, I mean that—that's your case, and that's uh, you could stop right there. You could say my case is I'm going to get a hundred points out of this guy. Don't get me so, wrong; that's a so fantastic—that's a fantastic fucking case. What happens if the Edmonton Oilers come back and put up numbers like they did two years ago? Who's going to do it? Who's going to help him? Uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, Leon Draisaitl, Cam Talbot could not be a shitbox this year. Oscar Kleffbaum could actually play a little defense and even a little offense this year. You get guys around you that can do it. It's just that nobody fucking did it last year. So if they're the team from two years ago, then Connor McDavid's pushing 110 points. No problem. But they traded all those guys away. Those guys that helped them get to the spot that they were at two years ago, they well, traded like Eberle. them away. Eberle was a big part of that team two years yeah. ago. It's not like he was it's not like he was a fucking amazing player, but he was a big part of that team. He's a lot better than fucking Jesse Pugliarvi. I don't know. I, I guess I was just taken aback. I was taken aback by the fact that you Kajula. have Stamkos at number one. Really taken aback. I think McDavid's a surefire number one overall pick in every single league. I mean, and I'll, I'll take that bet. If you want to take a bet at the end of the year, who gets more points, McDavid or Stamkos? I think me and 99% of everybody else. I'm not going to make gonna that bet because I don't want to give you whatever we're going to bet. I I okay. agree. McDavid is gonna get on. Um, it's just who he is. Uh, he, but also he chances Stamkos are does have that rest of that stuff. You you can't tell me I'm wrong, and I'm not saying that you're wrong. I 
I think that McDavid is a great player. I don't like him, but he is a great player. He's going to get 100-plus points. It is true, but he doesn't do anything else. I mean, other than shots, he doesn't do anything else. He doesn't take a lot of face-offs. When he does take face-offs, he fucking sucks good. at them. No, they don't want they don't want him blocking the puck. They don't really even want him hitting people. The only times that he gets pims is because he has uh because he has early Sidney Crosby syndrome where he starts fucking problems and then somebody else has to finish it for him. So he'll get like tripping calls and shit like that. But as soon as somebody tries to fight him, they break it up. You no, you are not allowed to hit him. He is the fucking golden child. I think he's he's gonna be the number one guy. No doubt. And it's only going to get better, too. The chemistry with Nugent Hopkins could be even better. Ty Ratty. So maybe he's going to be awesome. We don't know that. We saw Ty Ratty in a first-line role at the end of last year. Hell, I picked him up a couple of times. I think it's going to work. doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's Daniel Sprong with Crosby or if it's <clears throat> Mesnikov or JT Miller, who's actually a good player on his own. But you can put trash. You can put a fucking bag of pucks on the first line with Connor McDavid, and you're still going to get an assist or two. So I got McDavid at number one. I thought it was easy enough. He's a two-time Art Ross uh, winner. He plays big minutes. He has 200-point seasons under his belt. Has not had a season under a point per game. Uh, he's got high shooting rates, which seem to be permanent. He's, like we were saying, shit for face-offs. But we're, we're drafting this guy just for the offense. It's your number one pick overall. You need to get that offense. If anyone passes on McDavid as number one overall, I think there, there's, something, there's something wrong with you up top. But his chemistry with RNH was as a winger is going to propel that into this upcoming year. I'm really optimistic he's going to be able to do the 100 point year again. I think a lot of people are going to agree with me on this one. McDavid number one, Crosby number two. I would even I would even accept the argument of Stamkos number two. I don't think Stamkos is number three. I just don't. I'm happy with that list. All right, so I'm not, everybody, I'm not, I'm not hating on your list, but I'm I'm certainly not fucking hating on mine I just, either. I thought it was a little bit curious that uh, th- that was the first thing I thought when I saw your list. I was like, whoa, okay, that's a that's a shock right there. But your argument is valid, I think. Uh, yeah, I hope you get the number one pick this year. So do I. And you take Steven Stamkos. I'm take Leon Dreisaitl. All right. <laughs> and I hope I get the number two pick. I'll take McDavid. All right, guys, that is it for our center rankings. Let us know what you guys think. We know that everybody likes to um, you know, throw their hat into the ring when rankings come up, and we want to know what you guys think. Where do you have your favorite player? How are we wrong? How come Matt Barzell wasn't on our list, even though the Islanders are the greatest fucking team in the goddamn world, and Matt Barzell should be number one? This is ridiculous. But anyway, guys, you can find us at FHF Hockey. Let us know where we're wrong. Let us know what you guys think. And, uh, yeah, we hope you have a good night. Listen for us next time. Um, We're going to be ranking defensemen and uh, probably going to argue about some stuff because, well, actually, no, there's – um. There's no Calgary guys on my list. So, yeah. The next oh, episode. Yeah. What, what are you going to put Mike Giordano number three? No. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah. I mean, the defenseman ranking is going to be a good episode. I hope you guys tune in for that one, too. So, uh, till next time, guys. Love yous. Love yous. <laughs>